The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a little moment out of the show to tell you about a new podcast that I have found called Token Talks, which you can find uh, you know wherever you listen to podcasts. On this show, we talk a lot about our content consumption habits, and I generally ask uh, the guests, you know, what kind of podcasts you listen to? What are your podcast consumption habits like? So I found this podcast, wanted to let you guys know about it. Uh, the tone is a little bit different than what we normally do on the show, but I think the listeners that want to go deeper on certain aspects of the future of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in general will find the show educational and engrossing and yeah just wanted to take a moment out of the show and of course uh you know thank you to token talks for you know reaching out Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. This episode of the podcast is the one that you've really all been waiting for. I brought my friends Josh Hermsmeyer and Ben Baldwin from 538 and The Athletic, respectively, on the podcast to discuss running back value. Do running backs matter? Do rushes matter? Do running backs in the passing game matter? How should teams allocate their draft stock for running backs? All of the available mathematics and uh, statistical evidence for the running back position are discussed in this podcast. And uh, of course, if you like the podcast, you can leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's always extremely helpful. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Patreon for only $5 a month. You get bonus episodes of the show. You get access to a Patreon-only version of the Discord. We do showdown podcasts, uh, golf podcasts. I do no advertisement versions of the podcast. Uh, we do early releases of the podcast when I get them done and the schedule lines up that way. A lot of content for $5. And this week, we are brought to you by rotoexperts.com and dailyroto.com, the Daily Roto golf product. You can get 10% off using the promo code Rory, and you can get 10% off the Roto Experts NFL 365 package, where I am in charge of the content plan and distribution. You can get 10% off of that package with the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, both of those packages uh, leading the industry in their respective fields, uh, really enjoying the product at NFL 365 and really enjoying the daily fantasy tools on dailyroto.com. Let's get into the show. All right, everyone, we're tackling the topic once and for all. Uh, if, you've, if you've come to find this podcast, maybe you believe running backs matter. Maybe you believe they don't. But either way, uh, we're probably going to make you mad. Uh, on the podcast, we have Ben Baldwin, we have Josh Hermsmeyer, Frisco Josh, uh, representative of Seahawks Twitter, representative of Analytics Twitter, and for the next 45 minutes to uh, an hour, we are going to go through all of the statistical ways that running backs either do or don't matter from two guys who know uh, so much more about math than me that it would honestly make my head spin to even try and comprehend how much math I don't know. Ben. Welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be on. And I, I think it's very optimistic to think that this will be settled once and for all, but always happy to have the conversation. I guess the idea is not to settle it, but really I just want to link this podcast continually for months and months and months of, of evergreen content while people argue and just get more and more clicks, uh, which obviously Josh knows a lot about. Josh loves to get people angry on the internet. Well, I mean, it, it's not the goal, but it's a great like side effect. Like I just, I absolutely love when you can have a hot take that's backed up by evidence and it makes people, you know, engaged. And, uh, you know, the best thing about sports is that you have good debate, right? And the worst thing about sports is that you have terrible debate, like uninformed, just opinions drawn from nothing from the ether. And you just kind of say, hey, this is what I think. And you have to respect it. And 
I'm going to, I'm going to come at you crazy with it. And like that, that's the level of, of sports analysis and sports conversation that I just can't stand. So I do like the part where people get triggered though. I mean, that's the fun part, right? You know, you get, you get really, really angry because you're passionate. And, uh, and so I do, I do like to encourage that. And so, yeah, anytime I can find a take that's backed by evidence that I know is going to make people upset, I kind of relish it. I wish I wasn't so triggerable, but people know exactly how to do it to me too. Like people who followed me on Twitter for a long time, like know how to make me mad. Like these, these, these Kareem Hunt truthers, like they, they really know, like I can, I cannot help myself, but to respond to the, to the, to all of it. But, uh, okay. So the, the place to start, and I will throw this to Ben first. I think the biggest distinction and the things that most traditional football fans really rebel against, I think even a lot of traditional football fans would agree the running back position matters less. It matters less than it did 10 years ago. It matters less than all the other positions. They command less cap dollars. They shouldn't be first round picks, but that there will always be exceptions. Saquon Barkley, uh, Todd Gurley, Kareem Hunt, whomever. So the question is, is there really a difference between run back to the other as long as they are baseline effective? As long as a running back is not outright bad, Ben, how much of a difference can there really be between the best running back in the league and the 15th best running back in the league? Yeah, I think the key there is is having some baseline measure of effectiveness. And if you have that, we just have so much evidence that how effective a team's run game is is dependent on factors that are out of the running backs control this is primarily how good the offensive line is at run blocking and um, the the coaching and scheme where uh, they're dictating how many defenders are in the box if you know those two things there's not a whole lot of room left for a running back um, in and of itself to make a big difference Uh, if if you have a good offensive line and and few defenders in the box then you're probably going to have a good rushing attack no matter who's actually carrying the ball and if you have a bad offensive line and running into an eight-man box over and over again, you're probably going to have um, a, a bad rushing attack. So there's there's just such little space left over for the actual individual running back to make a big difference after taking those factors into account. So I think a counterfactual that someone of the running backs do matter uh, mindset would put forth would be, oh, well, certainly there should be some value in a running back who can gain more than the average yards per carry against eight-man boxes. And the rebuttal to that, Ben, would be, well, teams just shouldn't run into eight men. Yeah, teams shouldn't. That That is, of course, true. Teams shouldn't run into eight-man boxes, or at least not often. Uh, if, if you're running into eight-man boxes a lot, that, that probably indicates a, pro, a problem with the coaching staff in the first place. And I, if there's evidence that there are running backs that have a repeatable ability to gain more yards or expected points uh, than expected uh, against certain box counts, I, I just haven't seen that evidence. Josh? No, I agree with Ben, and that's the thing. When The, the first thing I, I, I went to look at um, when I was analyzing running backs was, you know, what's, what's predictive, you know, what, what is stable over time and then what actually helps the team and, and breaking tackles is one of those things. So like, if you want to like, if you want to have a, 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 a hot, crazy <laughs> matrix for, 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 for running backs, I think you want to look at the number of carries the guy gets and the number of tackles he breaks. I think those are the way to kind of view running back talent. A guy who's good is going to get more, typically will get more carries and he'll break more tackles. Um, absent that though, when I looked at, you know, number of yards over expected against eight man boxes, is that something that is sticky over time? Like, are, is that a skill that certain running backs exhibit? It, I couldn't find it. There was nothing there. And, and that's not to say, and again, I always couch this, especially when we get into like these definitive proclamations, I love triggering people, but at the same time, definitive proclamations are the brand of this podcast. <laughs> okay. But, but. I didn't find any evidence. You know, does that mean there's evidence out there? Maybe. But we have so much and so many of these instances of not finding evidence when it comes to running backs that I'm deeply skeptical when someone just says, they just kind of you know, hand wave over to, well, you can't definitively prove anything. And, you know, that's fine. And, and, I, and I, you know, that's great. And welcome, you know, you know, welcome to academia, I guess. Because that, that's where I get really frustrated about this, this notion that, well, we can't actually reach any conclusions about what, global warming or, any, or, 
or lung disease and cancer, like, or CTE and concussions. Like, we can't definitively reach any conclusions, but, you know, suggestive evidence also needs to be completely discarded along the way. That, that's, that's just ridiculous. Look, at the end of the day, we take the best evidence we have available and we start making decisions because we have to make decisions. We have to make our lives, we have to play DFS. We have to be, if you're a GM, you have to draft. Like it, life doesn't stop because there's uncertainty. So you, you take the best information, the best evidence you have, and then move forward. And right now, the best evidence we have is that there's no running back that's ever lived, at least that we have data on, that's better than another at running against eight-man boxes over time. So that would suggest that the, the counterfactual, that that is a useful skill set to acquire via free agency, the draft, trade, whatever, not something that GM should be focusing on, not something that armchair GM should be wanting their team to add. Uh, another another uh, counterfactual or another thing that people on Twitter say when they, they argue against, you know, teams need to run or teams should have a good running back is that, uh, you know, a lot of work that you guys have done has suggested that really play action should just be used and abused to the point of like absurdity. Teams should just do it all the time because the success on it is just, it, it is just better than a straight, uh, you know, drop back pass. And the evidence that you guys have gathered suggests that it doesn't matter if the team is effective at running the ball when they actually do run it and not use the play action. So Josh, I was hoping that you could explain the math behind that and why the argument that you have to run to set up the play action is not valid. So there's been so many people who've looked at this and, and uh, I mean, it, it's not even my research. I was, act, I, I, I've looked at other people's research who I respect. Ben's one of them. Yeah. Ben has, a, if you Google play action, you get Ben Baldwin SEO. Yeah. But, but, but then there's like, you know, folks at, at, at Grantland did some stuff and, and, and anyway, there, people have looked at that for a long time. In fact, there are people writing articles eight years ago talking about how play action might be the three point, the corner three of the NFL. And, and so this is not a new idea. Um, anyone who has had access to the data has looked at it, come to the same conclusion. So there's this, uh, this replication part that's so important to, to, to like basic science. And, and so I don't think there's any real question that play action works, right? Play action is more effective on a per play basis than any other, than any other passing play, really. So the question, the question you're asking is, does running set that up? Like it, it, the number of runs, the success of your previous runs, does any of that influence one way or the other um, the effectiveness of play action? And um, my personal little carve out in that space has been to look at if the linebackers actually move, they stop biting after you keep running play action on them. Mm -hmm. and, and that's important because if the running back stops biting, then you may not have the same window for the passing game. Um, you know, over their heads, to the left, to the right, wherever it might be, wherever your read takes you. Um, if, if they stop biting at a certain point, then, then that's, a, that's pretty good evidence that, yes, there is a, a limit to the amount of times you can run play action on a defense. But that's not what I found. And, like, we only have a limited amount of data uh, from um, the, the uh, big data bowl, which is basically player tracking data, put chips in the shoulders, chips in the helmet, chips in the uh, ball. Uh, but there was zero evidence, again, that, that the number of times you run the ball actually impacts the number of times the linebackers bite on play action. And I think the explanation for that is, is that they're trained. Run first is what matters. That yeah. we can't stop the run, we're going to lose. And I am, I'm actually kind of sympathetic to that idea. And I actually kind of think it's true. Um, but I think they overdo it. And, uh, and anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to Ben because he's done a lot of the other research on a uh, number of times and success of running and how that affects play action. Yeah, so, so first of all, some people think that the nerds like us are saying that teams should throw it 100% of the time and play action will still work. That, that's not actually what we think. We think that, or I, I guess I should be using I think here. So I think that there is evidence that play action works best in the situations where teams are more likely to run the ball. So this is on early downs uh, rather than on third and long. And this is uh, under center rather than from shotgun. So the threat of a run clearly matters in general. It's just not the case that a specific team has to run the ball more often in a specific game for play action to work, or even in a specific season 
teams that run the ball more often um, aren't more successful at play action. So within the ranges that teams run the ball, whether it's 30% of the time or 60% of the time, play action just works. It, it works for everybody. It, it's extremely rare for any team to have uh, lower yards per play on, not, or on play action than non-play action. Um, but like Josh said, it, that there's just, that the linebackers get sucked in because that's how they're, uh, they see the offensive linemen fire out. They see the, the ball going into the stomach of the running back, and, and that's how they're coached to play. So uh, that's why it's effective, it appears. Basically, it just matters that the team has ran at some point in the game or at some point in the past. Like, basically, if a team was to say, you know what, we're just going to pass every single down, then the play action would lose its effectiveness. But if, but if at some point a defender has had to think, okay, it's theoretically possible they could run here, the play action will have a greater EPA added. I think – oh, go ahead. But I think the best evidence that – someone smart can take a team to task if, if their entire offense is predicated on being successful play action is the Super Bowl. It yeah, I wanted to get Ben's thoughts on the Super Bowl, actually. Yeah, it's, it seems to me that I mean, even then, I think if you look at the totality of the plays, play action was still better on a per-play basis than, for, for the Rams than any other play. But there has been some arguments, and, and I haven't looked into the data myself, so – I, I kind of take it uh, on on uh, on faith that it was still effective, but some people have said, "Well, if you adjust for the second half or late in the game, where you know it was out of hand, I don't know that it was ever out of hand." So I'll throw this to Ben, but I think there is there there may, it may be the case that if you run into a team and you're a smart coach and you know that they run off play action, and it's the most important feature of their offense, that you can coach your team not to bite, like and and that's like next level, right? Like that, but. For me, from my perspective, that's exactly what you should do, right? Don't bite. Like, let them run. Belichick did that against Buffalo in the Super Bowl. He told them to let the guys, let Thurman Thomas run on them. What we can't be beaten by is the running, uh, is, is the passing game, because they will kill us there. So it's not without precedent that Bill Belichick um, will tell his team to not defend the run. Do you have general thoughts on what happened to Jared Goff and the Rams in the Super Bowl, Ben? So I, in the Super Bowl on, on play action versus non-play action, my I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they were an abject disaster on non-play action passes. So their their play action was still it was something like two yards per play higher. Uh, I think the the interception was on non-play action, and I think most of the sacks were as well. And if he had connected with that uh, deep ball that McCordy got over at the last minute. Right. That, that was a play action play. So yes, it was. we're talking small samples like the Super Bowl. If that play connects, then their play action yards per play is, is huge. That would have been like a 50 yard pass or something. Um, so yes, I, I think it's absolutely true that if a team is dominant at play action like the Rams, then we would see teams adjust to it. But having defenses adjust to try to take something away can open other opportunities. And, and if, if you're a great rushing team, like the Rams were behind their offensive line, then um, there's, there's other possibilities to take advantage of it. So this isn't on our agenda, but I actually wanted to throw this to you guys. One of the guys in the uh, take cast discord asked this question. So if, if play action does get sort of maybe solved by defense. It's not solved, but defenses are coached better at handling the play action. The instinct is to stop the pass, not the run. What do you think about the idea that fake passes, like the the uh, the pump fake or the uh, you know the instantaneous fake wide receiver screen, turn it around, halfback draw? Like, what do you think about the idea of fake passes or pump fakes becoming like a more common thing in the in the NFL arsenal? I just saw a play by uh, Baker Mayfield and the Browns as the first play of the game. He basically faked to the smoke uh, pattern out of the running back out of the backfield. And it was against a, a two deep uh, zone. I, I think it was no, it was man two deep, two deep safeties. And it was man on the outside. And so the, um, the, the cornerbacks bit on that pump and then he threw it in, well, I guess they call it the Turkey hole, whatever. It's that gap between the cornerback and the safety in two deep zones and for a big play it was on first down people were lauding it so wow look at baker mayfield look at this this is great but i, I think it i think it exists i think that you know it definitely I, exists already but i don't think yeah. it's like it's not a meme like play action is a meme it, you're right it isn't but i also think it's a, a lack of measurement like so we don't measure it so we don't yeah. know 
Um, there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot of data out there. I don't even think sports info solutions tracks pump fakes. Yeah. I don't think they do. Um, it, but this, it's a good point in that regard. And that like, I'm kind of an asshole when it comes to certain things and I'll like be very provocative, but all I want is for the things people think are important for us to to count and measure them. If we can count and measure them, then we can test them. And if we can test them, then it could be the case that a lot of these ideas that old school football guys have are actually true. It's just the problem is a lot of them aren't. And so I'm skeptical of everything. And and so until we test them, I'm just very, I'm just very dubious of any claims as to, uh, the overall effectiveness of a lot of things in football. I think that, I think that makes sense overall, the idea of like having things that need to be testable, but I just, I'm always looking for like, what's going to be next. Like obviously teams in 2019, they're going to play differently on offense than teams did in 2018. They're going to build on what happened and defenses are going to have to try and catch up. But uh, going a little bit further on this running backs discussion, I, I actually, I wrote, here that uh, that running backs do matter in the passing game or that we have evidence that they do but ben actually responded in our dm thread that he's not even sure if running backs matter in the passing game so the floor is ben's to explain the role of running backs in the passing game so let i'll raise my skepticism and then you guys can try to Either tell well, me that I mean, you very well might be right. I was just trying to lend a small olive branch to the truthers. <laughs> I, I think I do agree that if running backs do matter, it, it would have to be through the passing game. So that would definitely be the area to look. I'm just not totally convinced that they do. One reason I'm not convinced is that if having a running back who is perceived as good in the passing game causes teams to throw a lot of short passes to a running back coming out of the backfield and that's diverting passes away from the intermediate or the, the Jarvis the Landry argument, the Jarvis yeah. Landry corollary. The, yeah. The Saquon Barkley argument. Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing for the offense. Um, when Bill Barnwell was discussing Saquon Barkley season, he had all these stats. So let me read this. Eli Manning posted a superior completion percentage yards per attempt, passer rating and QBR with Saquon Barkley on the sideline. So <laughs> <laughs> that is the most amazing stat I've heard in my whole life. So everyone can agree that Saquon Barkley is amazing. He might be the best running back in the league. His broken tackles are off the charts. His athleticism is off the charts. He's a pleasure to watch. But it's, it's almost impossible to find any evidence that what he does matters in terms of how good the Giants offense is. Well, they're, they're, how, do you, how do you refute the claim that, uh, that Barkley does all of these runs that go for a lot of yards? That's, uh, that's one claim that I've heard on, on Twitter is people say uh, the long runs matter and that the, the explosive ability to gain 40 yards on one play matters because it, it changes the game, Ben. <laughs> so I think it, it's definitely the case that some players are greater home run threats than others. And... Barkley, of course, is a great example. Uh, Philip Lindsay, highly drafted running back for the Broncos, is another. Uh, <laughs> but we have measures that account for the value of long plays. Uh, expected points added uh, measures what happens on every play and, and says, on average, how valuable you are to an offense. So if you're holding a player's expected points added constant, with all the caveats about how the expected points added from, from a running back are largely dictated by offensive line and box count, blah, blah, blah. Even with that in mind, holding expected points added into account, is it better to have a player with a lot of long plays and a lot of uh, getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage or getting short gains if EPA is the same? This is basically asking, holding EPA constant, do you want a high success rate or a low success rate? And I think most people would agree that you want a high success rate. You'd, you'd rather stay on schedule and and get continuous yards so i i'm not sure and yeah, the giants finished like the giants finished with like two expected points added via the rush right they were like 15th in the league in rushing yeah they, they were an average rushing team with probably the best running back in the that's league. amazing it's an amazing stat that no one from the truther side has ever really been able to say much of anything about i've never gotten a good refutation for that um a, a couple other things Long plays are extremely rare. They're unpredictable, so it, it's not really even a repeatable skill. You might get a couple or a few in a season. 
And then going back to the, the passing game, um, guys like David Johnson, another incredibly talented running back, a, a great receiving running back, but we've seen him over the years. He's just so dependent on his team context. Even Slandering David Johnson on my podcast. <laughs> Unbelievable. But it, if you don't have a team that is well-suited to u- using his skills, he's yeah, he sucks. running back, but what was he doing in the passing game last year? Nothing. Like well, point, his point, route, his, his yeah, like point nine were, average depth of target. His routes were egregious. He used to run uh, Jarvis Landry routes, and then he started running, which we can all agree are the pinnacle <laughs> of the evolution of modern American gridiron football. By the way, by the way, I do want to mention this. Uh, so my colleague at Rotor Grinders, uh, Kevin Cole, is doing some with or without you analysis, and he, he, he hasn't released this, but I think I, I'm allowed. And, and, and so what he did was he looked at all the plays in which the Cleveland Browns ran with Jarvis Landry and without Jarvis Landry. <laughs> and uh, there are only 42 plays without Jarvis Landry. So small sample size, and this is what I am. My guess, would be, my guess would be is they sucked without him because they had like Rashard Higgins and Brashad Perryman. They were, I think they're a seven yards per play team with him. And they were 11 yards per play team without him. But it was only 42 plays. So what do you do? What, what does it mean when Jarvis Landry is in the lineup? Probably means you need to take a deep shot. Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry is just an advanced running back, Josh. He's just, he's just a running back that gets his, his rush three yards past the line of scrimmage. That's fair. It's fair. But like I told you and like we've discussed, I am more than happy to incrementally boil the frog. Right. If, what it, if what it means is that we're no longer running and we're passing to Jarvis Landry, that's still incrementally better than handing off another 10 times. Again. I do. I, I've never disagreed with that part. Like I still think a Jarvis Landry three yard slant is a better play than handing the ball to, to Nick Chubb. But I, I, the thing I actually wish is I actually think Landry is probably dynamic enough to just be used like a real wide receiver. And uh, he was this last year. And he, he was. was. Yeah. But this is not a Jarvis Landry podcast. Okay. This is, right. <laughs> this, uh, we, can, we can rehash that again the next four times you come on. So, so Josh, we just got the case that uh, it seems unlikely that running backs even matter that much in the passing game. And I think, the, uh, I think the point that Ben made that big plays are really extremely rare, and honestly, they're very random. I, uh, I dug this stat up during the Truth or Wars uh, Isaiah Crowell has as many 45-yard rushes or 45-yardage plays or more than Kareem Hunt, and no one thinks of Isaiah Crowell as a, as a game-changing running back. But I think the answer to that is just like, one, big plays are random, and two, uh, they're sort of dependent on where on the field you're getting the big plays. Like if you if you just break completely free and no one can touch you from the 29-yard line, it's still a good rush. It just doesn't add the extra 10 yards that it would if you got it. Uh, from the 39. So, so what is your thoughts on, I guess, the, the big play element that Ben discussed and also the role of the running back and the value of the running back in the passing game? So this is where I want to be careful because I think, I, again, I'm sympathetic to the idea that I haven't been able to test. Um, so therefore, it's just speculation. And so I want to put it at that level. But I'm sympathetic to the idea that if you have a back that at least has the perception that he could do that to your defense, that maybe you play differently against that team. Like, I'm, I'm open to that idea. I just want someone to give me a testable hypothesis so that I can, I can go out there and see if that's true, right? Like, but, but I'm open to that being true. I totally am open to that being true. Um, I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense. Like, if you're worried that if you miss a block and uh, now you're 40 yards down the field off a run, I mean, that is dispiriting. That is devastating because running shouldn't do that to you. There shouldn't, it shouldn't be the case that when you allow a team to, to make a handoff and, and you're basically playing the pass, like let's imagine we're in that future and we're living in that world, and then suddenly people are breaking off routinely long gains on you. That's bad. I mean, if you can imagine that world, that's very bad. Um, it, it, you know, when running becomes efficient, you're kind of screwed, right? You really do need to redouble your efforts and rethink your entire strategy because if all a team needs to do is turn around and hand off to their running back to gain first downs, um, the game of football becomes a lot easier for the offense. 
What do you think would happen? And this is this is where we get into the untested waters. And we'll come back to we will come back to life. Uh, we'll come back to the math. But just theoretically, Josh, what would happen if a team just passed every down? I think you'd see something akin to what we see in the AAF, where what we think is really really poor play by the offensive line may actually just be a defense that just doesn't give a shit about running anymore. Yeah, they just tease off. And just tease off. Like, I really do believe that there is an equilibrium that coaches are kind of fighting towards for, you know, I, I do believe that it exists and that, and that running actually is important at a certain threshold and, and passing becomes ineffective at a certain threshold. My argument has always been, and I think most analytics folks, including Ben, and we've talked about this numerous times, is that we just nowhere near that. Like, we just... We need to push it more. We need teams in, in the NFL, not in the AAF, not in college, in the NFL to actually be open-minded enough to try and push towards a new threshold of passing so that we can figure out what is actually the limit of passing's effectiveness and where actually rushing starts to become more efficient. I think that would be incredibly fascinating. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with, everything Josh said. Um, maybe you could speak to this more, Davis, but even in the CFL, where teams only have two downs to get a first down uh, rather than three, teams still run the ball sometimes. So it, it's not like even... Yeah, but they... And I, I'll tell you this. I, watch, I watched more CFL uh, than, than whoever your favorite football analyst is. I watched more CFL than them in 2018. And they, they really should not. They they like with, with with the rules with the rules of the CFL those teams should be chucking it every single down like the the quarterbacks they never throw interceptions like all of their INT rates are like three percent and they all threw for fifty touchdowns and all the wide receivers are like like the good wide receivers I guess are like guys who were like NFL rejects whether they be they're huge but they're too slow they failed a drug test like. The CFL guys, they, they should just pass every down because the, the rules are so structured to incentivize. And I really think the only reason teams still run in the CFL is literally like the, the, the coaching mantra of like, you, you just got to be able to run the ball. Do you think that's why Mike Leach runs the ball too? I think Mike Leach, uh, I, I, if I ever had to defer to anyone, it would be Mike Leach. And I think probably the reason that air raid coaches still run the ball is it, it's just a very obvious thing. If you, if you, if you hashtag watch the games, you see, you see the linemen just stop thinking about the run. You see the linebackers eight yards off the line of scrimmage. You see the safeties 20 yards back with their hands on their hips before the ball is snapped, just not even just waiting for the, the wide receivers to get there. And I think that's why the, the, you know, the way how mummy always explained it uh, during, you know, during the whole thing at, at Kentucky and at Iowa Wesleyan was just like, you, basically you have to run the ball just to, yeah, you got to keep the defense honest just a little bit, even if you're only running 15% of the time. I think if every play is a package play with a run built in, if you see those things that you need that are correlated if, with, with if successful the quarterback, running. If the quarterback sees five free yards via a rush and doesn't check into it, that's probably bad. You should, you should probably take that. Agreed. Agreed. And because well, – go ahead, Ben. I just think it, it really is rushing. If you can do it successfully, if your big people can beat their big people, you'll win football. I mean, that's just a truism that is actually true. Problem in the NFL is your big people aren't beating their big people. Go ahead, Ben. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I, I do wonder if the future is you only run the ball if you are checking into it because of what you see on the line of scrimmage or in situations where it's actually good, like in third and short or in the red zone. I mean, I definitely, I definitely think that that is um... – viable and i think that runs will get more creative like a run out of jet motion uh, my guess would be and you guys would know more about this than me but I, a run out of jet motion where the guy is already running with a full head of steam like isn't that more successful than just a you know a, a straight like a like an off tackle run or is that is that not the case i want to say that's true and i want to say that even running back handoffs where there is also some sort of other motion to distract the defense. I think those plays are more successful, but 
I would have to pull the numbers up. I looked at that last year, but I don't recall if I found anything significant. I don't remember. Jet motion just looks cool, right? <laughs> right. I, I just want teams to use it more. And so, actually, I want to come back to the CFL for a little bit. So, just to give you guys a hint of how things go in the CFL, there were one, two, three, four, five rushers who ran for more than 700 yards in the entire league. <laughs> and they, they, play, they play an 18-game season. And uh, let me filter for the quarterbacks. And there were four 5,000-yard passers. Like it, I, I know the quality of football is not near as good, but watching a team like like just chuck the ball deep forty times a game, it's an enjoyable experience. Like I, I, I would guarantee you, if you actually are liking this AAF stuff, you like the CFL. I watched uh, some of it over the summer just because there's nothing else really on if you're not into baseball. And I, yeah, I thought it was fun. I, I would definitely, I'll definitely watch it again this summer. I, lo- I like it more than the AAF. I've been watching it and it's kind of crazy to me how much of a groundswell there's been for this league when there is like other professional football to watch, it's like with recognizable college names. Yeah, I, I think the the depth of the recognizable college names isn't quite what it is in the CFL because there's all these Canadian guys too, right? But um, Well, every roster is mandated to have a certain amount, yeah. Yeah, so that for the American audience, that doesn't help the recognizability. But then you see guys like uh, that Oregon quarterback, we're, Jeremiah we're, Masoli. Yeah, we're really getting off track here, but um, but yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's a fun league to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, uh, so this is the this is the question. This is the question. Uh, I think is there a certain threshold? a certain success rate, a certain yards per carry, a certain EPA added that a running back could add per play to make him as valuable as, a, you know, a good to great wide receiver? Is there is there a level that a running back could achieve over the next best running back that would make him valuable? Because I think the thing with wide receivers is it's just a harder position to play. It's harder to run good routes. It's harder to catch the ball it's harder to be explosive after the catch and so I think that's why there's such a great disparity between wide receiver like tap like uh talent and and stats and I'm wondering if that is you know could there be a running back so good that he does matter Ben I'm kind of skeptical about this uh one reason is not even comparing the talent level of running backs to wide receivers it's just so much harder to run past seven or eight guys at the line of scrimmage if if, if they know exactly where you're going to be and you're starting with the ball where yeah um, compared to a wide receiver you're you have one or two guys you have to beat and then maybe beat someone at the catch point so it, it's just such a different um skill set um set of constraints that you have to beat um to have a su- successful play if we see a running back with a really high yards per carry or success rate or whatever even if it was astronomically high, I, I think the, the first thing that people should be asking would be, how much is this running back actually contributing to this? We, we saw this with the Rams where Todd Gurley was really efficient over the course of the season, had great volume stats and efficiency stats. But uh, as Josh wrote about a couple of times, the, the Rams offensive line is amazing and he was running into very light boxes. We would expect running backs to be successful in that situation. And, and when Gurley got hurt and they had to pick someone up literally a replacement level player came in and had CJ Anderson <laughs> probably below replacement level I would argue so it, it it's just it's really hard to imagine a running back in and of itself beyond the team context around him actually adding that much value relative to a wide receiver similar similar opinion Josh well yeah, I mean, I can't add anything to what Ben said in terms of the player itself, but I think in terms of rushing versus passing, I think there is a theoretical point at which rushing becomes um, advantageous. And I think Ben, I think we even talked about this. I think you even did a calculation. But it, my, my theory is that it's not when they're equal. Like, I don't think it will ever be the case that rushing yards per attempt is equal to passing yards for attempt. I don't think that'll ever happen, but I do think there is a point where the marginal value of rushing is equal to the marginal value of passing and that and like and like you know they balance out in that regard and and so then you might have a GTO situation where 
game theory optimal situation where running is actually the correct play. Uh, like bluffing, even though when you have nothing in poker is the correct play, something like eight, nine, ten percent of the time, whatever it might be in certain situations. So I think that there are there, and I'm not saying that that's the right percentage for rushing, but I am saying that we just don't know because there's no one out there empirically testing it. And we really need to see that happen before we can say with any certainty, you know, what's the right run pass balance. But in terms of the question regarding, is there ever going to be a running back who's as good as the, as the best wide receiver? No, no. I mean, Barry Sanders was awesome, but was he as good as Jerry Rice? No. No one was as good as Jerry Rice, except for Randy Moss. Oh, no. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is not going to let this happen. <laughs> Josh, has to, Josh has to be, like, the, the biggest Jerry Rice truther ever. Like, he's, like, Josh definitely has to be the guy who goes, he sucked. He sucked in Oakland. No, he didn't suck in Oakland. What do you mean? He was fine. Like, like he was old. Give him a break. Like, he still had 1,000 yards in terms of, like, cumulative yards and, like, and he had some touchdowns. And um, I just think that, like, he pulled a Hank Aaron at the end of his career. You know, he wasn't, like, that amazing player anymore. But he just – his longevity was incredible. Yeah. Um, so, I'm glad you brought up GTO because I think that is one of the valid concerns raised by, uh, by Egg Twitter. Like, when you, when you get yelled at uh, by people on Twitter with 13 followers who follow 450 accounts and they tell you you don't understand the game, I think maybe the one thing that they do have right is that in certain scenarios when you're up 14 points or 15 points or thir- actually probably it matters more when you're up by 13 points that there is some extra value to be added in being able to run the football well enough to generate first downs and keep the clock going. Though I guess I would argue that short passing probably is more effective and adds more points and gives you um, – you know, a greater chance of accumulating a larger lead. But Ben, do you have any thoughts on these, you know, that argument, the the grind the clock down argument? I think it's definitely true that if you do have a lead late in the game, you, it it does make sense to run the ball there. And it is better to be uh, effective at rushing there than uh, not effective at rushing, obviously. But I'm, because of the sample sizes we're dealing with here, um, I, I'm not sure how much investment in the overall running game actually translates into success in these very specific late game situations. So uh, I'm going to use an anecdote here uh, just for fun. Um, that The 2017 Seahawks were just absolutely awful at running the ball. But in one game, they were, uh, they were able, this was against the 49ers early in the season, they were able to hand the ball off a bunch of times and, and close out a game. So even if you're a terrible team at rushing, um, you, you might get fortunate sometimes and be able to run out the clock. And if you're a great team at rushing, you might um, not do well at the end of the game. It, there's just such a high variance here that um, the argument that you should build your team around running the ball when we're talking about these very specific low sample late game situations, um, I, I'm not sure I, I totally buy that argument. E- even though, yes, it is a case that running frequently does make sense in those situations. Yeah, that's a great, that, no, that's a great point. It's a great point because you can, fi- you, can, you can see that something's true writ large in the aggregate at the league level, but then it's an entirely different question whether or not you should optimize for it at the team level and, like, and, and Ben's point is just well made. And, and I think that, that is kind of, that's kind of the problem with running like writ large. It's just that you, know, you, can, you can suss out certain situations where it works, but then the cost to actually build a team that's going to be good for those limited situations you're going to run into, uh, you're basically crippling your team in all these other ways um, that, are, that are much more effective in terms of passing a quarterback or wide receivers or, or what have you. And so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, again, I'm sympathetic to the, to the, to the idea that rushing um, is, is important. Um, but, again, every analytics person who's looked at the data, any person who – you know, cares to kind of study the game, come to the same conclusion, which is that it's just not the same. Um, it's uh, the efficiency is much, much more. Uh, it's much poorer, and um, and you know, it would be encouraging to see teams, you know, pass the ball more creatively and more often. Um, and and I think I think that's happening, right? I think that's happening, um, and I think it, I think it'll continue to. At least I hope it will in the next season. 
people pointed to the last third of the season kind of being a downturn in, in terms of points scored. And I haven't looked deeply at it, but I've seen a couple hypotheses for why it might be the case and like, you know, weather or, or maybe, maybe defense is caught up. I don't know. I mean, more playoff playoff bound teams ran more vanilla concepts to put less on film. That's what I think. That's by the way, if we, since this all started from a Kareem Hunt argument, I think that's a big thing that happened with the Chiefs. Is I think they were just like, oh uh, yeah, let's just have uh, Kelsey and Hill run crossing routes, and Damian Williams can gain five yards of carry, and that's good enough. I made that argument to Neil and my editors, and they were like, and I'm like, no man, I'm I'm serious. Like I think that's what's going on, and. Uh, I don't think they want to put their best plays on tape anymore. I think they're like, we made the playoffs. We're going to run our vanilla, and we're going to see if we can win out. That's fine. We still want to win, but we're not going to – we're going to save our good stuff for the playoffs. And I think that's legit, like, how coaches think. I think that's as close to getting in the mind of a coach as you can. And, and still, oh, go ahead. They still led the league in scoring in the last five weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> by, by, like, by like a, an actual margin, too. It's not, it's not like they limp to the finish line. Like they 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 put up uh they put up what they scored thirty against uh, what was the best defense in the NFL a defense so good Josh admitted that it mattered. Oh Baltimore, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they finally their completion percentage against actually started mattering late in the season. That was that was a, a seminal moment for me. And and Patrick Mahomes just wasn't scared. Just just completed fourth and eight passes against them, no problem, because he had his boy Damian Williams there. <laughs> Boy, you are never going to get Jacob to believe in this. this whole some, people, some people will never believe because it goes so against the core. And I think uh, this is just the, the truest thing. And, so many, and this is, does not just go for football. This just goes for anything in life. People are so easily tricked by astonishing things. They just assume that everything they see that is astonishing or, or spectacular is meaningful. And uh, unfortunately, that's just not the way that this, that this world works. This is draft Twitter falling in love with a new generational running back every year. Right. Yeah. Like, like David, David Montgomery, first round draft pick, Josh Jacobs, first round draft pick. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Like you, you see someone who can do these things and you just assume that they, well, I, I guess the first thing is you assume that they can always do these things. You assume that it wasn't an accident. You assume that it's repeatable and you assume that even if it was, that it matters. And uh, that's just, that's just not the way that football works. I think it is interesting. I, I, I kind of had a kind of a com- confrontational conversation with Matt Waldman the other day. He made a claim and it was something along the lines of if a guy gets stoned um, by a defender in college and can't fight through that, that tackle and no, move forward and gain extra yards that he won't be a successful running back in the NFL. And I thought it was an extraordinary claim. And so I said, well, Look, I'm, I'm like the biggest proponent of broken tackles when you're evaluating quarterback play or running back play, but you need to like, come on, give me some evidence here. And, and he did. And while you maybe can poke holes in it and maybe there's, you know, maybe it's not dispositive, but I do think though that at least he provided it. And, and so there maybe is something to this idea of trait bubble analysis. And, and again, it's why I think, um, well, I mean, we still run into the problem that it's just a running back, but putting that aside, you know, I mean, if you had to choose a running back, this is, these are the things that yeah, you Yeah, and I, that's actually something I'm dealing with right now is I'm like looking at all these rookies and like ranking them and thinking about how to put them in like a dynasty fantasy football context. And, and I mean, it's also fun. Like, like David Johnson is one of my biggest hits ever and like one of my favorite players. But like at the end of the day, you got to admit like, Wayne Gallman could probably do 90% of the job. <laughs> and that's tough. That's tough. That's a tough thing to take for the ego. Yeah, and I love watching running backs. Like, it's so fun. Like, they're, they are most often the best athlete on the field, especially in college. And, and like, the things they do and, like, the, the physicality they exhibit and, like, you know, break tackles or, you know, like, I love watching Walter Payton. I love watching Barry Sanders never get tackled. Like, just making people look foolish and 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 it's there's something about football that I think people who are true fans feel like we're taking away from them when we say they're running backs don't matter yeah I think there is an element of that I think there's an element of like the what do you know you nerd 
Not that, not even that I should even qualify. I just I just uh, I just like deliver hot takes on what smarter people than me realize. I think that's a, a great skill I have is realizing uh, which smart people are correct and then co-opting those takes. You're you're good about seizing on timely things and then getting people on the podcast to talk about those things. So you have you definitely have an ear to the ground with what people are going to be interested in at, at any given moment, which is definitely a skill. Yeah, uh, that I would say that's definitely much more of a skill I have than figuring out what does and does not matter in American gridiron football. <laughs> have we have we sufficiently answered the question? Have we have we ended the debate once and for all, Ben? Do do running backs matter? So I, I think that so we've discussed the evidence that we have, and like Josh said, this this is evidence. It, it's not the the be all end all. It's not the final truth. Um, if somebody finds different evidence and, and can point to data or something quantifiable that running backs matter, then um, I, I think I speak for Josh and definitely myself. We're, we're more than willing to revise our beliefs. But at this point, there's just so little out there that this, this is what the evidence has led us to. Yeah, I, Josh, I guess the, the same would go for you if, if you were presented meaningful statistical evidence that running back performance mattered or was predictive in the future, you would, you would change your tune? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would, be, that would actually be tremendous um, because, again, I love running, watching running backs, and I love that aspect of the game in terms of just the visceral and, and voyeuristic part. But, uh, but no, yeah, no, it's, just, it's the dearth of it that's striking. It's just, just – the inability to find some way where that could be true. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just deeply skeptical that that will ever happen. But if it does, I'd be more than willing to uh, revise my opinion. All right. Ben, where can the people find your work? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. And uh, I write some things sometimes, uh, not now as much as other times. Now it's offseason on uh, the Athletic Seattle if you want to read about the Seahawks and their running backs. Josh, where can the people find you? Find me on Twitter at Frisco Josh, and I write at 538. Um, I'll be writing through the offseason, and uh, yeah, so check me out there. The next time that uh, that people are triggered online about football, uh, I, you two are my, you guys are my go-to. Really, my my appeal to authority is I will just always tag you guys in at a certain <laughs> point when I'm arguing with someone. I just am like, you know what? I need someone to really come in with the math. And I'll just tag in one of you guys because you're always there to uh, to hold the mantle, and I really appreciate it. Now that uh, JJ and Denny have retired from the running back wars, <laughs> yeah, Denny Denny's just not on Twitter. JJ's had enough of it, so I know I know that I can always count on Ben for a chart, and uh, and Josh will always at least laugh at someone, and it's it's good to have internet friends of that high of a quality. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I love coming on here, and, uh, and, and I appreciate you having me on. I didn't know that uh, JJ was, was, was retiring. I think one of his podcasts was probably one of the quintessential kind of running backs don't matter resources. And so, uh, you know, RIP and he'll be back. No one who really cares that much about football can ever really be done with it because you you're so certain you're right. And you just cannot retire until everyone has admitted that you are right. That's just that's just the way it, it's just the way it goes. Uh, yeah. Wow. If only. All right, boys. Great podcast, and uh, I hope I hope that someone listening to this is listening to this a year and a half from the record time and is still mad about it. 